Welcome to another episode of Up To. Nine years ago, Up To started as a live event series showcasing leaders who are as humble as they are successful. The humility piece is extremely important as we identify leaders who can inspire others. We try to focus our interviews on the non-business aspects of their lives. And in doing so, we have found there's a real thirst to explore their hearts and minds in atypical ways. Our host, as always, is Adam Kaufman. And on this episode, we are joined by Dale Jones. Thanks for joining us. We'll be right back. During the first season of the Up To podcast, I had several companies and entrepreneurs approach me about potential partnerships, but I'm really selective before choosing to do something like that. One choice we did make happily is to partner with Vivid Front, a full service digital marketing and website design agency based in Cleveland that works with both local and national brands. They've built their entire client base on referrals and they've won a lot of awards, including the 2019 Inc. Magazine Top 5,000 Fastest Growing Companies, North Coast's Top Places to Work, and several others. They're known for their talent, they're known for their creativity, they're known for their culture, a firm I liked before we agreed to partner together for the show. Check out vividfront.com, or you can email me, and I'll introduce you to their dynamic leader, Andrew Spott. Welcome back. You are listening to the Up To Podcast with host Adam Kaufman. Today's guest is Dale Jones. Our guest today is one of the world's top CEO and board leadership consultants. He currently serves as the Washington, D.C.-based CEO of Diversified Search Group, a leading national executive search firm that's been in business for more than 45 years. He previously served as vice chairman of Hydric and Struggles, another huge firm in the search industry. Our guest focuses exclusively on finding and attracting CEO and board-level talent for clients seeking authentic and diverse leadership. I love that. He's particularly adept at identifying those with heartfelt desires to serve others, like himself, combined with competencies in context, maybe we'll delve into that, that are often difficult to find. His client list comprises both brand name companies that we would all know as consumers and also niche firms, some Fortune 500 companies and also major hospitals and nonprofits too. He has literally reached the very pinnacle of his industry. He's just the type of guest we like to have on the Up To podcast. He's reached the top of his field. He's earned the reputation of being the best at what he does, and he recently won his industry's highest award, which was a big deal, of course. Unlike most of his peers, one of the many things I like about him is that he himself has been a corporate board member and continues to contribute as a leader, not just picking other leaders or telling others how to be leaders. He does it himself. Hughes Supply Company, Coles Corporation, Chick-fil-A, and Northwestern Mutual Corporation are some of the examples, in addition to nonprofit leadership on the Morehouse College Board and the Special Olympics and the Salvation Army as well. He's frequently quoted in the media and contributes regularly as a speaker and instructor at Georgetown University. On the personal side, Dale's passion to help others fully realize their potential stems from a lifelong commitment to service. A native of Dallas, he grew up as the son of a shoe cobbler, wow, and a teacher. On Saturdays, 
He and his twin brother would often go to work with their father and help clean office buildings. This value and his heritage would lead our guest today to apply and enroll at Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, which set him on this very meaningful path that we're going to delve into today. Ever since I started this program, honestly, I've wanted our guest today to be on the show for four seasons now. And now that we're based in D.C., we're able to do it. He's a very busy human being. But Dale Jones, welcome to Up To. Adam, thank you. Great to be here. What have you been up to? Well, we've been very busy uh, in terms of work. Uh, our clients have huge demands for leadership and, uh, and to find the best people in their organizations who can transform the organization but also transform lives and, and create impact. So it's been a busy time for us as a firm. And what about you at, on the personal side? Have you been busy at home as well, or are you, are you working 100% of the time? Well, I'm, I'm trying to, to uh, create more margin in my life. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 32 years, and we have two adult uh, children. And so uh, Yolanda and I enjoy um, going to museums, to the movies. We are foodies. We love travel. Uh, she plays tennis. Uh, I play at golf. Uh, we work out. And so um, between uh, working out and um, our involvement in church and community, all those things bring lots of uh, joy and meaning to us. I know you're so busy. I've known you now for seven years, but you always seem happy. And I'm sure there are unhappy moments. But do you believe in this life balance pursuit? I personally don't. I feel like I'm always having fun, or at least trying while I'm working. And even when I'm not working, and if I'm just doing something, having fun, I still have work thoughts in my mind. I feel like I'm doing both at all times. Maybe that's bad, but that works for me. Like I was uh, going to the bank a couple of days ago to come here and the teller asked me, you know, oh, you're going on a trip. I was taking out some cash. You know, is this a work trip or a pleasure trip? And I was like, well, it's kind of both. I always do both. So I don't know how you feel about that. But now that your kids are out of the home, are you able to balance more or do you not even worry about that? Well, you know, I think I've always tried to balance uh, over the years and have failed at it most times until <laughs> I finally realized that there are seasons in your life and you have to know what season you're in and live in that season. Mm -hmm. And so there were the seasons of soccer games and lacrosse games. Uh, there were the seasons of uh, activities that our kids were involved in or we were involved in with them. And then there were seasons where, um, as, as now, where they're not around. Mm -hmm. uh, they've got their own lives as, as adults. And so uh, we find that uh, finding margin and balance is uh, a work of art. But the truth is I think too many of us beat up ourselves, beat ourselves up in trying to get there. Right. Uh, but for, for me, it's been more of an integrated journey, much like what you just described. Okay. That, that can I work and enjoy it? Can I work with people that I enjoy working with? Right. And can I do things that bring pleasure and have impact, but also create value? Mm. Um, and so if we can work with the people we enjoy working with and uh, have them as friends as well, uh, it, it, it can create a, a nice balance where you're not trying to sort of move in and out of these places in order to, to gain uh, friendships and relationships. Right. True relationships. One of the many reasons I've been eager to have you on this program is because you have this enviable um, seat at the table, so to speak, of seeing so many different leaders. You're recruiting leaders for positions, you're training leaders, you're co-working with other leaders, you're on boards with leaders. This show is about leaders who are as humble as they are successful, and I find humility is rare the higher up the totem pole, so to speak. Why do you think humility is so rare, or is it just hard to show when you're in a leadership position 
I've never been able to ask anyone that before as qualified as you are. Well, I think in many ways we live in a world where um, humility is an understated um, leadership attribute and is not seen as a strength, but hmm. perhaps as a weakness. And so um, people... Isn't that a shame? Yeah, it is, it's unfortunate. Yeah. But, but folks will bypass humility because they don't see it as a strength. They see it as a weakness. And yet, uh, it's the humility of, um, of one's own style that enables them to, to bring a team together. Right. Uh, as someone said to me, you know, how do you get to humility? I said, well, you first have to get to gratitude. Because if you can be grateful for the people around you and express gratitude for their helping you accomplish what you accomplish, mm -hmm. it speaks to a level of humility that I, I can't do it by myself. Mm -hmm. I have to do it with other people. And so um, it, is a, it is an understated attribute, but I think one that enables people to be far more successful um, than, they, than they ever thought they could be if they are genuinely and authentically uh, uh, humble in how they operate uh, and how they care for people and not see it as a weakness, but really as a strength. And ironically, folks love being led by humble leaders. I don't know what book taught us you had to be leading only by strength. And I know we're all familiar with the buck stops here phraseology. Right. You know, hear me roar. I'm the big, strong man. I'm the boss. Yes. Leading by memo. But I've talked to so many of our listeners and viewers of this program who are inspired by people like you where the humility clearly comes in naturally. But I don't know why more leaders don't do this because they'd be more effective leaders. That's right. Well, what we've found is, is that leaders who had, uh, have had experiences uh, that have challenged them in their lives, whether it be, it be personal or professional. Or health or something. Uh, yeah. Or health. Yeah. Um, have learned some things oftentimes through those, those tragedies or through those experiences. Yes. And, and oftentimes that will help develop within them the level of, of, of empathy and humility that's empathy. needed to lead. good word, yeah. Um, the former chairman of McKinsey uh, once said to me that as I'm looking for leaders, one of the things I want to know is if she or he has ever had a failed rung in his or her life. Mm -hmm. And I said, wow, that's an interesting attribute uh, or an interesting sort of theme. Right. And I have found that when people have had a failed rung, either personally or professionally, and they've gone through something and they've learned from it, there have been lessons learned, then that oftentimes mature them in their leadership style and their ability to connect with people uh, and to lead effectively. But sometimes, you know, the, the opposite can happen. You can become bitter by those experiences uh, and withdraw and not lean in and, and self-author the, the experience that you need to have in order to grow and become better at what you do. I call that navigating curves in the road. We're all going to face curves in the road, yes. but how are we going to navigate them? Are we going to crash mm -hmm. or are we going to successfully slow down and maybe get through it and learn from that curve in the road. I can remember, Dale, for me, and then I'm going to ask you if you have an example to share. My first marriage ended much sooner than I expected it to. And I remember having this monumental, just for me, I was the only one there, but monumental for me dinner by myself in like the men's grill of my little country club in Cleveland, Ohio. And I had this grand plan for my life, this blueprint that I wrote that how my life was going to go perfectly. And I was having this mental conversation with myself, and I was realizing that that blueprint's gone. I, I need to just crumble it up and throw it away. Or, like you just said, I can wallow in despair and anger and frustration and depression. But I decided to just throw it away. And in my case, my faith system allowed me to, you know, turn over that blueprint to the higher power. 
But then that set me on a much better course. But I would have not have learned without navigating these curves in the road. And I'm sorry I'm talking longer than I expected to, but you touched on something that means a lot to me that I wouldn't be who I am today without having to navigate that major curve in the road. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it is those missteps. It's those um, moments of misfortune uh, that oftentimes become the defining moments for our lives. That's right. And, uh, and how we respond to them uh, will be the teacher for, for uh, how we lead and care for other people. Have you had any curve in the road, whether it's health or financial, career, personal, that really helped you now as you reflect backwards, become who you are? I've had a, a number of, of those. Um, the, the one, the earliest one in my life is uh, my mother uh, developed cancer. Um, she was 45 and mm. uh, passed away and left my dad a widower to raise three sons. I didn't know that. Um, and so, so young. that was um, a major defining moment uh, for me uh, to lose our mother, but also for my to watch my father uh, grieve the loss of his wife and be left to to raise three sons. Mm. Um, and then my father's health deteriorated just a few years after uh, her passing away, uh, and he continued to be the shoe repairman by day and the cobbler by night. But what I found in that experience was that my dad never considered himself to be a victim. He never said, oh, woe is me, life has left me, you know, uh, in a bad place. He may have felt that, but he never said it. Mm -hmm. um, and he continued to press his way on until he passed away uh, a few years back. He never remarried, but he lived for, for creating a better life and opportunity for his sons that he wanted mm -hmm. us to have, even though he had such uh, uh, great misfortune at a young age uh, and left with three sons to, to motivate and inspire. So mm -hmm. uh, that was a deep um, sort of turning point for me. Uh, and then we've had other uh, what I call dark nights of the soul mm -hmm. in, in the journey we've been on. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've had to, to lean into them, although we've, we, we've not, we don't look forward to them. But, uh, but we also have tried to say, what, what, what are we to, to learn or experience as we go through this? Mm -hmm. uh, and then those become um, the teachers for us to, to be able to help comfort others as they walk through uh, life's uh, challenges as well. For sure. Do these types of topics come up when you're recruiting CEOs for companies that hire you or for board candidates that you need to present in front of companies or is it more the qualifications on paper of what they've done in their background or do these what I call kind of touchy-feely subjects come up at all? They do, especially with the work uh, I do and, and, and our firm because I always ask uh, candidates to tell me their story. Oh, you do? Um, okay. And when I ask them, typically they revert to the resume. And I'll say, well, I already have your resume, and uh, I've seen your LinkedIn profile, so I don't need you to rehearse that. But I, I do want to know uh, more about you. And, and I say, if who you are is what you do, then who are you when you cease doing what you do? Mm. So I really want to know what people are all about. And not the just of, their work identity. Not just their work identity, but what kinds of experiences have they leaned into huh. and what kinds of lessons have they learned and what kinds of things have they done to develop people, to develop themselves, uh, to create impact and value in organizations uh, and in community. Hmm. And so that does take you to a deeper level. And sometimes candidates get a little uncomfortable because you're now going into a space that some would prefer not to go. Right. They'd rather stick with the resume mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to talking about uh, hurdles or challenges or disappointments in life. And uh, at, but it, but it's it's at th that point where you really get to know who people are, for sure, what their values are, how they handle difficult 
difficulty uh, how they navigate through uh, the, the the bends in the road as you as you just mentioned yeah. and so then you get a better picture of leaders and leadership uh, for, from those individuals I love that you do that and I say the same thing when I'm talking to like an entrepreneur or a founder of a company with my day job of venture capital and I'm trying to get to know them and they tell me everything that they've done professionally I literally say what you do I've already reviewed your LinkedIn profile I know what school you went to we don't have to focus on that tell me these more meaningful stories that you're sharing right now that's that's awesome you do that actually I should have maybe said this at the beginning what 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 does a for those who don't know what is a search firm what what is an executive search firm well, executive search firms are essentially a form of strategy consulting, um, helping companies with their human capital strategy. It is how do we find the best leaders uh, to lead our organizations, whether it be hospitals or foundations or corporations. And search firms, typically we um, recruit leaders for organizations based upon the, the competencies they're looking for. Okay. They're the technical competencies they need, and then they're the leadership competencies they're looking for, and then there's a fit around culture. So uh, a firm like ours, uh, we're hired by corporations and, and organizations to uh, help the organization understand what they're looking for, and then we develop what we call a job specification. Oh, so they profile. may not even know, excuse me, what they're looking for. They just know they have two slots they need to fill. Right. But then what, what are the gaps maybe in your board that you need filled. That's right. It may be for the board or it may be the CEO is about to retire in a couple of years yeah. or, or someone who's not performing well that okay. they need to transition out of the company or they need to, to create a, a, a pipeline of talent uh, for the future. And so we're involved in CEO succession or C-suite succession and it can be CEO, CFO, chief financial officer, chief marketing officer, uh, it can be chief supply chain officer, etc. And I know uh, you've worked with huge companies like Pepsi and Chick-fil-A and you know, the biggest companies there are in America. How does, and I imagine there's other firms like yours, but how does your firm stand out or how do you get to this point? And I know you're humble, so you'll say things that have nothing to do with you, but you know, how does someone get to serve those types of huge, desirable companies? Well, one is uh, our firm has been around for 45 years and we've built strong, um, a strong track record of bringing leaders into organizations. And so people will say, what have you done in this area? Have you ever recruited a top healthcare leader? And so we will give a case study or a narrative okay. about the leaders we have put in place and the kind of impact and change they've had uh, in their roles. And so that becomes a story for us to share with other companies. Your track as, as record to, of uh, Track record yeah. uh, and why we do what we do. Okay. But the other thing is um, we believe that we're good listeners and because getting the fit right is important. Too often people get hired for technical competencies, but they get fired for leadership deficiencies. Mm. And those leadership deficiencies have to do with style and fit and chemistry. And so we believe that the work we do uh, enables us to become masters of fit, uh, to understand uh, what individuals, what kinds of individuals will, will, will work well okay. in a particular culture and organization. And I imagine technology, like in every industry, is now playing a part in yours, but what you do still requires a lot of in-person, a lot of human-to-human -human interaction, not just technology-based solutions for finding candidates. That's right. Um, today, the technology uh, enables us to just find people, right? And that's a commodity. volume. That's yeah. right. You know, I mean, there, there was a day when I started this business um, 20 plus years ago 
where where finding people was was the real art. Mm. But today you can find people online. Uh, but what you can't necessarily do, uh, or what you need, is someone who uh, provides good judgment and insight on how to assess those individuals mm -hmm. and their capabilities mm -hmm. for doing the job that needs to be done, and to assess them for fit and chemistry in terms of terms of the organization. Uh, so there's a human dimension that's needed, and judgment that's that needs to be exercised in the context of, of finding leaders for organizations. And you are like the ultimate people person. That phrase gets overused, but I imagine that has served you well in the role that you're in because you can relate to different types of people really well. And I was coming here today thinking about the different places you and I have been together over the years. Um, I actually wrote them down. We, you know, we were on the floor at a Golden State Warriors game together. You know, just watching a great basketball game in San Francisco. Yep. Another time, we were in a more formal setting in London, England, at Westminster Abbey with our wives, and uh, went to Wimbledon. You know, a little more, little more buttoned up, so to speak, than at the Warriors game. And then we also, though, have been in the mountains of North Carolina at Windy Gap together, you know, meeting with all types of people from every walk of life. Yes. But in each of those settings, Dale, you were, it seemed like, equally comfortable in those different environments. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about yourself, but where do you think you are when you feel most alive or most at ease? Oh, that's a tough question. Because um, you're, you're at ease in a lot of settings. Yeah, I, I think um, uh, having grown up uh, with a dad who had a, a store, a, a cobbler store, where we interacted with people from all walks of life who'd come in uh, to get their shoes repaired, mm, right? That's true, yeah. And, and then we worked in um, as janitors in, in these country clubs where we had to clean buildings and grout and, and so forth wow. with uh, folks who were very affluent. Um, and so um, I think at an early age, I just learned how to be uh, around lots of different people with mm. different experiences. Um, that and takes humility, that. too, though. Well, it, it does, right. That's right. But, uh, and I think my father was an example of that, where he was running his business during the day, but he was also sort of the quiet, invisible uh, worker at night. Um, and so I, I saw him sort of play both of those roles mm -hmm. um, and, and knew how important it is sometimes to be um, invisible behind the scenes mm -hmm. and to serve, mm -hmm. uh, but also when, when are we to be up front and to lead. And being able to modulate that's important in the right setting. And I'm sure even at home. As a single father, I'm sure you and your brothers were perfect young men, but once in a while he might have had to be a father and provide some direction or a little review of expectations, be a little more assertive, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that would probably lead to you developing your character traits that I'm describing and saying how fond I am of, of yours in terms of being able to relate to different people. You're listening to The Up To Podcast. We'll be right back. I'm grateful that Calfee, Halter, and Griswold has agreed to once again partner with us. With offices in Ohio and Washington, D.C., this full-service national law firm focuses on all aspects of business and the law, including corporate and finance, intellectual property, and government relations. Let me be clear. I actually approach companies with whom I would like to partner. We don't just accept marketing dollars from anyone who wants to be a partner. I've been referring my CEO and entrepreneur friends to Calfee for years. I believe in them. One of their notable practice areas is in mergers and acquisitions. Recently, I introduced a successful entrepreneur in the Midwest to Calfee as a European-based conglomerate wanted to buy his business. 
Calfee worked with large corporations as well as privately held companies throughout the U.S., Canada, Europe, and Asia. So whether it's selling your own business or the more routine needs of creating your first will or anything in between, this firm can really do it all in terms of legal needs. Once again, the firm is Calfee, Halter, and Griswold, and you can find them at calfee.com or on the UpTo Foundation website. If you enjoy today's conversation, you will also enjoy the Kaleidoscope, Adam Kaufman's monthly UpTo newsletter. Sign up for our monthly newsletter on the UpTo Foundation website, and you will receive more meaningful content and observations as we try to showcase humility and authenticity in the marketplace. Go to uptofoundation.com to subscribe. Welcome back. You are listening to the Up To Podcast. Today's guest is Dale Jones. Are there certain character traits right now, maybe, in this COVID or post-COVID environment? Are there certain traits among the leaders you're recruiting or working with, either good or bad traits that you're seeing more of right now? Well, a couple of traits that I think are important uh, ingredient and necessary for leading. Um, one has to do with vulnerability because we've been in this environment um, of the pandemic and the polarization of uh, and, and cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can leaders be vulnerable? And vulnerable, you know, uh, it, it, the, the root of it, uh, the Latin, is, it has to do with brokenness. It has to do with um, being transparent. Mm. And so I think there's a level of vulnerability that's often needed in today's environment for leaders to be genuine, authentic in how they, they lead. And the younger generation is looking for leaders who are willing to be more transparent and vulnerable in, in how they lead and bring teams together. And so that is, I think, an important uh, aspect uh, of leadership. I'm writing that down. Um, vulnerability is a key component, I think, of humility. It's hard to be vulnerable if you're not yes. humble. Right. And our mutual friend, Doug Holliday, one of my mentors, is always talking about being authentic, a synonym of vulnerable. But you're, you're using vulnerable in a, in a way I hadn't heard too often. So oh, thank you for that. I, I want to think more about the vulnerability aspect. I feel like listening also. I think listening is the most underrated, in my opinion, uh, aspect of being a good leader is being a yes. good listener. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also admitting that we don't have all the answers. For sure. Uh, and so there's a level of vulnerability to admit that I don't have all the answers, um, but I'm willing to step in and lean in and, and to have an impact and bring others along the way to, to help me do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is resilience. Um, okay. You know, we, we are in an environment uh, where people have been through tremendous change, uh, whether it be the business cycle uh, whether it be the fact that we're in this demographic drought and need more laborers, right. uh, or whether it's coming out of the pandemic, or the fact that there's what we call the great resignation, people leaving their jobs, uh, or people working from, from home, and how do you create community yeah, well, and What culture? do you think about that? Will that end, or is that a new scenario that's going to be something we all have to deal with as employers, bosses, leaders, that folks don't want to work or they want to work less or they want to work remotely? Like, wh- where do you think that goes? Yeah, I, I, th- I think we are in an inflection point. Uh, and it's not the great resignation, but but to me it's the great reexamination. Interesting. Uh, and people are reexamining their lives and, 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 and what they value uh, and how much they want to work, how much they want to play, and, and where they want to live uh, and how they want to do it. And so we see employees today have more control mm-hmm. um, and more leverage right. than, than ever before. 
So there are people who say, sure, I'll come and be the vice president or executive vice president of this company, but I'm not going to move from Dallas. I'll just commute from Dallas to Chicago. Uh, or, and are leaders accepting that well or not yet? Well, it, it's both. I, I, I think I think leaders are, uh, are challenged with how do you build a culture and a team uh, remotely, how do you lead at a distance? Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of it's happening. Uh, some companies are, are working at it better than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've all been living on in Zoom hell for the last. Oh my gosh! You know, Too many. Uh, yep. And so some folks are craving the strong emotional connection, uh, physical presence, and some uh, prefer not having it. They 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 love the you know the quarantine. Convenience yeah, of the being convenience at home yeah. as well. So right. so so I think we're in this. Uh, inflection point where we don't know what the end looks is going to look like. Isn't that isn't uh, that yeah an odd time to be in where we don't know the future of office buildings, or you know corporate headquarters staffing situations. Yes. Yep. What yep. an unusual time. That's right. But we do know uh, from the data that we're in a demographic drought here, where the number of young people coming uh, going to college is declining. The birth rate has declined. Right. Um, the immigration rate um, of people coming into the country has declined. And so the question is, where are the workers going hmm. to come from hmm. uh, who have left jobs to go do other things? And so the restaurant hospitality industry experiences this greatly. Uh, the agricultural community is experiencing this. So we're in this demographic uh, drought. Yes. Where, and baby boomers are checking out uh, in record numbers. So baby boomers have retired in 2020 at an alarming uh, accelerated rate than ever before. Mm-hmm. So um, these are interesting times to think about talent and um, experience right. uh, and people um, sort of uh, unplugging. It's probably pretty levels. interesting to be in your line of work right now. I'm sure there are challenges, but it's probably pretty interesting, a kind of Petri dish of experimentation and yes. seeing what works or what doesn't resonate with with potential candidates. Yes, and, mm. and we're seeing wages increase because companies are having to be right. competitive for talent. Right. Um, and we're seeing um, some levels of, of, uh, of, of um, um, you know, concern about how high wages are increasing, not just hourly wages, but right. compensation in general. Yeah, one of my best talent. friends lives in Cleveland, and he uh, flips houses, residential house flipping. And I think they did like 25 homes in 2021. And about a fifth of them were California workers who wanted to live in the low cost of living Cleveland, mm. but their companies were tolerating them working remotely, kind of like what you're talking about. Yes. But it was a better lifestyle, presumably, for them. It was lower pace, less traffic. Their dollars go further. Yes. And that's, I mean, that's not permanent, but that's pretty long-term when you're buying a home. You're laying roots in a yes. different city. That's right. That's not just like a Zoom call. That's like years and years of Zoom calls, probably. That's right. And you think some uh, cities and municipalities have a higher tax burden? Right. And so that exacerbates that the issue you just described. Yeah. Uh, do I live in um, L.A., uh, California, Los Angeles, California versus Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, Big migration to Austin right now. That's right. You know, there's no state income tax in Texas yeah. or Florida uh, or Tennessee and Nevada. The second best podcast in America, the Joe Rogan uh, experience, just moved to Austin, Texas. It's the second best, Todd, after uh, up to, of course, yes. our, our producers laughing here <laughs> in the corner. Um, so we're talking about people choosing to live in different cities. Let's talk a little bit about you, if we can. You've been in a Different industries, too. You're in banking. Mm-hmm. You, We've talked a lot about her in the talent business and executive search. You were also in venture capital for a while, financial services. 
How do you go about making career decisions? I'm always interested in hearing how successful people decide to turn left or to turn right during these moments of whys in the road when presumably both options are good. But how did you go about deciding to get into financial services or to leave it to go to your current industry? How do you, how do you go about doing that? Well, I'll tell you, my, my roadmap has been all but linear. It's, 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 it's all but linear. But, yeah, um, <laughs> the, the truth is, I think, uh, Adam, I have responded more to calling, and that is, what do I feel called or excited about doing at this season of my life? And I don't recommend that for everybody, but it has worked for me. And so I started my career out of college as a banker, uh, and then I spent some time in the not-for-profit sector. Um, and then I went back into business um, where I worked uh, uh, in the executive recruiting world. So you went right from banking to nonprofit. To a not-for-profit. That's interesting. Yes, yeah. I, I ran a not-for-profit uh, around the Olympic Games in Atlanta for a oh, number of years. Okay. Putting together, I didn't know that. Uh, faith leaders and community leaders uh, to build homes and to host family members and youth sports programs for several years. Um, and, and then I got into the executive search business. Um, and then I took a hiatus from there to work with our friend Steve Case um, with Revolution right. and, um, and uh, Global Water Projects in Africa. And then went back to the search business. Um, but, like, what leads to each of those changes? Like, how do you decide? Well, it, uh, uh, one, um, there, was, uh, there was a point of restlessness in each of them. Because so often it's mess- easier to stay in the current role. That's right. A lot That's of right. people, they stay in their current role. They're working more than they're at home, yes. but they're not happy with it. Yeah. I yeah. like that you've had the courage to make these moves a few different times. Yeah. Well, uh, and I merit well because my wife has supported well, that's me a key part. in stepping out of what I was doing to do something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've enjoyed every season of my life, but I also have a life partner who supported me in that mm. uh, so that we could explore those things together. That definitely makes uh, it easier. Yes, it does. That, that, that when someone's with you, supports you, even though you don't have all the answers uh, of where you're going, what you're going to do, uh, makes a big difference. So you evaluate the potential change with your wife, you just said, you also think about what season of life you're in. Are there any other factors that people could consider when deciding to make a change? It's to, to seek uh, good counsel. Um, you know, there's a proverb that says that... Wisdom uh, comes it, from an abundance of counselors. That's right. Yeah. In a multitude me. of counselors, yeah, there's yeah. safety, there's wisdom. And I didn't so, mean to interrupt you there, yeah, but no, I love No, no, it's great. But, yeah. but, but in every case, I went to... Uh, friends and people who are, whom I respect, uh, whom I respect, and uh, and and they gave confirmation uh, that perhaps I, that was the journey I should be on. Right. Uh, and some of them even put the the downside risk of doing those things, which is uh, healthy uh, to hear that. Yes, that's right. And so because we can sometimes have our own conclusion and then fit the pluses and minuses. Yes to get to that conclusion anyway. So it's helpful to get someone who knows you well yes. to be honest with you. Yep. Tough love. It, well, tough love. And in, in several changes, I had uh, several friends create a, um, what's the upside of doing this and what's the downside? Okay. Uh, w- what are the strengths of uh, the positives and the negatives? Hmm. Uh, and so that helped me have some realism in mm-hmm. uh, in it, but also confirmation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It is, and for me, it's being you know very prayerful and meditative, uh, so that my spirit resonates with with the decision. But also having confirmation from family and uh, and friends and and counselors who give an objective point of view about things. Do you think you ever made a misstep because you didn't seek enough counsel, or you maybe reflect backwards? Oh, I I should have done this instead of that, or did you feel like you always made the right move given the season of life that you were in? 
I mean, you're in a great place now, so it's all worked out great. But I don't know if you've ever made a misstep. You know, um, so, so th- there may have been times when good became the enemy to the best, mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, and I don't know th- that I made big decisions that were not right for us. Um, it, it may be that that the good Lord just redeemed them. Okay, yeah, <laughs> redeemed our own Good mistakes. Way of looking at it. Yeah, and got us through it. Um, you know, but but there are little decisions I've made of, of did I buy the right car? You mm. know, did I did I did I go to the right place this time? Sure. Um, for vacation, or did I buy the right house or the right neighborhood, or, or did we send our kids to the right schools? I mean, so yeah. so you have things that you you review and look back on and wonder if you made the the right decision, uh, but hope in the end that it would it would be redeemed. Right. And, and come together. Yeah. You mentioned that you lean on others to help you make some of these decisions. Are you now finding that people ask you to help them with their decisions? Like, are you aware of how many people rely on you as a mentor or as someone just follows how you behave and how you live your life? Are you, do you think about that very much? Yeah, I'm involved in, in the lives of a number of, of folks who've asked me to come alongside and give them advice and, and counsel hmm. uh, and levels of mentorship. And mm-hmm. so that's been, that's a part of the journey I've been on uh, for a number of years with a number of people who are either emerging leaders, some of them are, are students, and some of them are folks in business who just need um, a trusted advisor to come along and, and, and hear their thoughts and give a point of view. Hmm. Uh, to, what to, are the most common questions? maybe about students that I know you're still involved as a board member at Morehouse College, which is tremendous. Um, But what are some of the common maybe missteps you help keep the students you mentor from making? Well, many of them uh, over-exercise on their major. You know, Mm -hmm. what am I going to study? And sometimes they get uh, paralyzed. Too bogged down with too that. Too bogged down yeah. with, with uh, what their undergraduate degree will be in. Um, and I often try to free them up to say, you know, there, there are things you can do um, that, that don't have, may not have a lot to do with what you're ultimately going to be doing. Uh, you know, I talked to the uh, former CEO of Goldman Sachs, who was a history major. You hmm. know? And so he said he eventually went back to school, to business school, but he, but he started out as a history major. And so, so there are uh, I try to free people up from, from feeling like— It's mentally relieving. Yes, that's right. That's right. That, 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 that what they major or get their degree in will, will now predetermine it's not everything. not a permanent that's path. Right. That's right. right. That's right. You know, unless you're going into sort of the deep sciences or right. on an area that's, that's highly technical uh, where you've got to get started early. Hmm. What about the um, recent piece that you wrote? I've been— I think I've reread it twice, and I might pull from it with your permission for the newsletter that I I do for up to, but it got a lot of attention on LinkedIn and and, and probably elsewhere, but you talked about uh, gratitude being maybe less emphasized than it should be in the leadership class. What what inspired you to write that that piece? One is um, I felt that um, it was an understated attribute but I do recall spending time uh, listening to the founder of Zoom, mm. um, uh, and he was uh, giving um, attribution to, to the qualities that have helped him be who he is. Okay. And he talked about gratitude and, and, and that it was his gratitude towards the team and others that kept him humble uh, and grounded. And so I began to think about not only uh, that quality in in him, but also in other leaders, mm-hmm. and how it is it is the right 
quality that does provide the kind of leveling you need uh, when we get caught up in, in leveling. self. Leveling, good you word. Know? Yeah. Um, caught up in yeah. self. Yeah, yeah. You, you're, you mean these are just little phrases you're rolling off here that we could spend a lot of time on. Mm. Do you do much writing? Like, that was a really good piece. Do you do that often? And, I'm beginning to do more. Yeah, keep uh, doing I'm, I'm it. Starting, I I'm starting a, a series of leadership attributes that I'm writing about, and so uh, I'm working on another for the end of the year. Um, that will can you come preview out. what the topic is, or yeah, I, I will. So, so, so the, that one was gratitude. Right. The next one's vulnerability. Vulnerability. So, Good. Uh, look for vulnerability. That's the piece that I'm I'm going to focus on in the, in the a next. A grateful nation message. awaits your next uh, <laughs> musing that, you, that you're going to be yeah, putting out. Guy. Yeah. Now, I also um, preparing for today. I read about a major award you you won not too long ago from your peers in your industry congratulations thank you um, you know a lot of people talk about being the best at what they do whatever it is being a chef or a car mechanic or a, a teacher but you literally have reached the top of your industry do you ever think much about who's following you maybe who you're inspiring from afar not the students that you're directly interacting with but I bet I bet you're having a bigger impact on those who follow your work than you even realize. Mm. Well, I sure hope so. It is, it is, um, um, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. Mm. And so my hope is that my life will be an open book uh, to those uh, who would want to know the journey I've been on and how it has created opportunity and success for us. Um, but I also want people to know that it, that it's not just about me. It's it's been it's been uh, that I'm standing on the shoulders of giants in mm. the context of my life, mm. uh, of my family, of, of the, the the ministers and the the the, the community, uh, my wife, my kids, uh, all have inspired and motivated me uh, to be who I am. And all that your father uh, did without his wife at mm. a young age, man, very impressive. I didn't know that about your background. Mm. And that's probably affected what type of parent you became, the way your father parented you. I don't know if you became more of how he was or less. Sometimes there's a pendulum effect. Right, right, right. But have right. you thought about that much? Well, you know, I, I have not thought about it much, but I do know that the level of sacrifice my father made for us uh, doesn't come close to uh, the sacrifices um, uh, with, with me in, mm. in our family, uh, you know, he, he paid an ultimate sacrifice mm. of uh, of working two jobs night and day, um, and lost his health mm. um, in the midst of it, mm. and made great sacrifices never never to marry again, mm. uh, to keep his sons for it. So I, I don't know that I could ever uh, accomplish uh, on the sacrificial pendulum of what he did for us, uh, but I've tried in some small way to. Love my wife and love my kids, and uh, and create opportunities for them. Well, your, your your humility again is coming out. You're doing very well in all of those regards. I didn't have the honor of knowing your father, but he seems like a really a special human being. A couple of years ago, I don't know if you know this, but the um, United Kingdom they established a cabinet level position to address loneliness. Mm -hmm. There's a minister of loneliness, believe it or not, in the UK. And earlier we were talking a little bit about um, being a leader and the different unintended consequences of success that our mutual friend Doug Holliday often talks about. Does it ever get lonely being like the big boss at your company? I was thinking this after talking to you about your father never being married again. You have a wonderful wife who I've met 
you have a, a team at, at work, but has loneliness ever affected you given your kind of high professional stature? Uh, it has. I mean, I, I think when you're leading an organization or, or, or giving some responsibility for leadership, mm-hmm. um, there are times when it does feel alone. You, mm-hmm. you, you do feel alone. Right. And I've had times when I felt alone. Only so many uh, people can relate to what you're going that's through. That's right. That's right. Uh, but I also have felt incredibly supported by others. But sometimes you have to make decisions uh, about people, about situations uh, that only only you can can, can make. Right. And so. Um, um, there are moments where it does feel like the dark night of the soul, mm. uh, and you've got to uh, work through it uh, through your own meditation. I'm, pa- and I'm passionate yeah. about peer groups mm. um, yes. to, to address this. Right. I think you're from the YPO world a little bit. Yes, that's right. Me, uh, YEO, and mm-hmm. a few other groups, Legatus, a group of Catholic CEOs, and we do some peer group activities with Path North. But yes. I really believe in the experience sharing. Yes, and huge. The, the more we have in common with each other, the more helpful we can be with one another. That's right. Yes. So I don't know if you have any peer groups now, like mentor, mentee is one thing, husband, wife is another, but a group of peers, and I, I actually I think that's why AA became as influential as it was, because they're a group of peers, a certain yes. types of equals. Yes. And my father was um, an alcoholic and then a recovering alcoholic, and he taught me the power of peer groups mm-hmm. and how peers know when you're telling the truth and when you're, yes. you're BSing a little bit, and That's they right. hold you accountable, and they give you yeah. that tough love. So I love peer groups. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and that's been the secret to uh, some of my success is, is, is being a part of uh, on the journey with a few friends mm-hmm. uh, who will give you advice, will give you comfort, and will challenge you along the way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's healthy. It is very healthy. Absolutely. It addresses yes. that loneliness I brought up, but it yes. also helps us be better versions of ourselves. That's right. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a proverb that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? Mm. And so for friends who will be um, honest with us, truth tellers uh, uh, to us, but also will bring comfort and encouragement. Right. Yes. Well, what are you most excited about right now? Gosh, um, I'm, I'm, well. I mean, today came, you were most excited about being on the Up To podcast. Now that's, that's almost right. over. That's right. That's What's right. the next big thing on your life list? Well, you know, we've just entered into the season of Advent. Right. And for some, it's a season of Hanukkah. But uh, this has been a long, tough year, uh, but very rewarding. And so I'm looking forward to uh, unplugging and spending time with family and having uh, sort of a sabbatical moment uh, to read, uh, reflect, uh, walk, uh, think, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and just un- unplug. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm ready for a sabbatical journey here for the next, you know, it's not going to start now, but, but in a couple weeks uh, uh, before the new year. Well, that sounds good to me. Sign me up for that. Uh, it's always remarkable how fast the time goes when we sit down in front of these microphones, Dale. Yes. We covered on some powerful topics today, so thank you for sharing so openly and authentically. So I guess we can uh, thank you right now and then unplug, so to speak, uh, this episode of the Up To Podcast. But thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Adam. Great to be with you. Thank you for listening to the Up To Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe via your podcast platform of choice. You can also email Adam directly at adam at uptofoundation.org to receive our newsletter, to suggest speakers, and give your candid feedback. We'd love to hear from you. The Up To Podcast is produced by the BL Media Group right outside the nation's capital in Northern Virginia. We'll see you next time.